This is the one with beef. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not doing that. No, let's do it. Let's do that. Let's do that. That's, that's great. This is the one with beefy bean has beans. A countdown of countdowns. Building control rapid response unit. Ex-girlfriend racks. Sonic ventriloquism. A bong bong hey. And not one mask. It's called Eve of the Daleks. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle bean and angels are. Dalek cyber zoo and wow. Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Echoes and Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? What ho, podcast land? Oh, fancy meeting you here. Welcome to yet another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Right you are, my friend, right you are. Or Doc last year. Yes. Still weirds me out how, how we've caught up with ourselves. Yeah. Who are we? Well, podcast land. I'm Leon, and I am staring across my table at my wonderful co-host, Drew. Hello, Drew. Hi, podcast land. Got new or buon anno and happy new year, because we've arrived in 20 freaking 22. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Shit's getting real. This is the anti-penultimate, currently scheduled episode of New Who. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh. I was going to say, it brings a tear to my eye, but... (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yes, you are right. Mm. Eva the Daleks. N173. Yes, we have obviously reviewed this once before on Who Back When. Well, you have. New Year's special, so it has appeared on Who Back When. I reviewed that one with Marie and Jim at the time. I'm thrilled to be reviewing it with you now. This is great. We're going to have a full house, a full deck of Who Back When cards reviewing this episode. So, Podcastland, if you haven't listened to whatever that was, B0 something, do you know it? It B077? B077 is right. If you haven't listened to it already, Podcastland, then yeah, what you're waiting for? Listen to it. No worries. You can listen to it after you've listened to this one. So, that was our instant-ish reaction review. You've not listened back to it, Drew. We established that before pressing record. Yes. I listened back to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, overall, you know what? Fuck it, it's a good episode. <laughs> yeah, you're all fine, knowledgeable chaps. Nailed every last talking point, not much to add. More or less. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, Podcast Land. And no, no, plenty, plenty to talk about. <laughs> I had forgotten all about this. High level, true. Yes. High level, how do you feel about this episode? Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. You wouldn't think so, but I loved it. Amazing. Right, <laughs> so, okay. Tell me, tell me, what did you love about it? The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where to start? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk you, you, about, about an hour and a half thing. about this. Uh, yeah. Okay, high level, I suppose, the construction of the episode. Chibbers has tried to do a real-time one before with 42, Uh and this is taking it to the next level. And I feel like the way he's done it complements the show, or just is really effective and works on a number of different levels. How does it compare, do you feel, to Flux in general, which had a couple of really high, high points? Yeah. And how does it compare to holiday specials in general? I feel like it's... Up near the best of both, honestly. You may argue me down, but right now... Oh, amazing. I'm feeling fairly euphoric about the whole thing. Wow. Well, that is terrific. I'm very pleased to hear it. And you, dear chap? Yeah, it was great. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great episode, and it has a bucket load of flaws, which oh, I'm yes. looking forward to yeah, At least apart. five flaws. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> and a uh, sub-basement. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
And we will get into all of that, obviously. But yes, high level. I enjoyed it. I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. Splendido. Right. Let's B-scale this, shall we? Time for us to synopsize, verify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. It's New Year's Eve 2021, and for the third year running, Jeff's done a bunk, leaving Sarah to pick up the pieces as the family always expects her to, because she still hasn't found a nice man to settle down with, and the odds of him being the nice guy standing across the counter from her holding a 1930s Monopoly board bequeathed to him by his latest, possibly latest, ex-girlfriend seem limited to non-existent. Into this madcap Mancunian melodrama, Plop Team TARDIS 2.0! thinking they're seven seconds and a brush with death away from a sentient beach holiday. But instead of playing chess with crabs, are forced into a four-dimensional version of same with Daleks, corridors, and somehow finding a way to survive a mega-meta countdown before midnight finally comes and the clock strikes 13. B-Scout over. You are welcome. Aren't you just podcast land? Right. Mm. For the latest person out there in podcast land who just gave us a one-star review on iTunes. Another one? Yeah, another one. It's the, it, <laughs> it turns out there are at least two dicks out there. Or we're getting worse. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> this person said that we absolutely love everything. What? Uh, uh, we never criticize anything. It's clearly, this is a person who listened to like 10 minutes of our highest rating or something, and that's it. Surely... Um, Everybody would be more justified in arguing the exact opposite. <laughs> aren't we the most you critical? Know what? I think we may have had a one-star review for that reason as well. <laughs> yeah, aren't we the most critical and least reverent of all Doctor Who podcasts out there? That's why you cynical bastards are listening to us. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, why don't we start off with a few questions about things that didn't make sense? But actually, I don't want to. Your euphoria is rubbing off on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty of questions, and a few of them are... They're neither positive or negative. They're just questions. Dude, just question me already. When someone dies... Yes? ...a few minutes before the reset, does that mean that they return to the loop with a glimpse of the afterlife? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm not expecting you to answer that. <laughs> it's an interesting query, because... We're basically talking about Nick here, right? Because he dies consistently the earliest. That's a plot point halfway through the well, episode. They, they all die at some point before midnight. They don't die right at the stroke of midnight. Yeah, right? and they don't all die simultaneously, thus ending that loop of the time loop. Yeah. So, yes, does he get a quick look in the nether sphere or the many other places where souls in Doctor Who have been extracted unto? Does he have eight glass avatars waiting He wakes for up him? in one of those Cyberman water tanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, silly question. I apologize. Why don't we start with Nick, though? How do you feel about Nick? Tell me all about him. Interesting, because I feel the least about Nick, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, it's a good place to start, I think. <laughs> it's not like he's necessarily a weak point, but he's no Ashling B. No, that's true. Ashling B is, since recording B077, we've finally learned how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Ashling. Yeah, I, she's I remember great. that. I do remember that. That's the one thing I remember <laughs> <laughs> from 18 months ago. 
Sorry, Ashling. Aisling. Asling? Ailing B. I think we established that she was a B in some sort of recovery unit or something. Uh, Well, she has died eight times, so. That's true. She's seen better days. Yeah, she's terrific. Mm. And we said in that review, I remember saying, make her either the doctor or the permanent companion or something. She is incredible. The comedic timing is fantastic. Yeah, she is also given the perfect foil in Pauline McLean as Mammy on the phone. Nick doesn't have that. That is true. But they are also certainly given opportunities to bounce reactions off each other. Yes. So how do you feel about that? To not make the Nick review about... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Although I completely admit and totally agree, yes, she's more interesting. I don't want to call him a weak link because I don't think he was. I think in most other episodes in the 13th Doctor's run, he would be one of the better ones. Really? Yeah, I don't see what was... Okay, what are you keeping to yourself? What do you want to get off your chest? Well, okay, first off, and this actually applies to Ashling B as well. In the very beginning, and this is a failing. It's a failing that this happened in the opening scene. Actually, it's pronounced fashling, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's that the acting is so deplorable. Like, just so oh! straight up dreadful. At the beginning? At the very beginning. When he arrives, and they're having the very first tete-a-tete, Monopoly board, oh, key codes, blah, 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 blah. Here's your key. Yeah. Terrible. Just straight up terrible. Really? Cause Do I, you not think so? I interpreted it as... She doesn't want to be, A, at work. Of course. B, Well, does company. she or does she not? I really don't think she does. Hmm. She wants to be at a party. She wants to be the one sending out these notifications to her saddest friend, who, for whatever reason, is incapacitated party-wise. Yes. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, that is interesting, because I remember in the very beginning of this episode thinking... Is she orchestrating this? Because she doesn't want to be at whatever thing her mum's at. And she doesn't want the pressure of all these messages. There's some reason why she's volunteered to take over for Jeff. I assume Mammy is coming from Ireland. Yeah, I don't quite understand why she has to be there at all. Why does it have to be open on New Year's Eve? Yeah, can't you just tell Nick to wait until a non-bank holiday? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why, Why does he need to be there? He is their only customer, so you've got to keep him sweet. Well, that's uh, there are a few things in this context that we discussed in B077. How the hell does this business work? She has one customer. Yeah. A one single customer and one freeloader whom she pays a salary and who consumes a lot of electric power <laughs> yeah. and water and whatever else. Well, if she had 50 or 60 subscriptions on the go then she wouldn't need to cater or pander to them would she she'd just be like no it's shut for a week well, she's with hemorrhaging it. money anyway like what does it matter oh assuredly this no. business is not gonna be bruising the FTSE 100 anytime soon no <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly yeah so i interpreted those as reasons for her awkwardness and nick as just a bit flustered and awkward himself and shy and he's got all these lines in his head he's made loads of notes imagine this he's made so many notes that he comes to his recording his encounter with ashling with sarah and he can't get them all out at once and he struggles to get to the end of a sentence and every now and again his mind goes completely blank and he has to look away for a minute and he doesn't have the silences truncated like I do. He's just there and he's got to perform <laughs> in front of a live audience, in front of his massive embarrassing crush. I felt for the guy. Now he had me every step of the way with him. Wow. I started sympathising with him later on in the episode, but in the beginning I thought, oh my goodness, who are these two people? I recognised her. I recognised her from stuff like QI or What I Lie to You or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't recognise him and I just figured, holy smokes, neither one of these two can act. 
She's a stand-up comedian, not an actor. That was essentially my thinking. But it, it doesn't right, matter. Right, right. I've got a question for you. So he shows up with a Monopoly board. Yes. This Monopoly board belongs to one of his exes. Obviously, we discussed in B077 that he is a clear-cut, no-frills serial killer. Yeah. Obviously. When he archives this Monopoly board, he writes, Simone, November 2020 to January 2021. Right. This is New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2021, right? Yes, multiply. So he broke up with Simone 11 months ago. Yeah. 10 to 11 months ago, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was in a relationship with Simone when he last came to this place and deposited an ex's belongings. This all makes perfect sense to me. No wonder Simone dumped him. Yeah. Or he killed her because he left her on New Year's Eve to go and hang out with this other rando he fancies. Yeah, he might as well have written five minutes past midnight on January 1st, 2021 on that post-it because that's when she called him to give him the news that she's pulled someone else as Big Ben chimed. That is very possible, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. And it's also the only chance. item that he's brought, so he hasn't been in any other relationships, or his current girlfriend is still alive somewhere. <laughs> because he yeah. was in a relationship when he last flirted with Ashling B, so he might very well be in a relationship with someone else. There's Simone Mark II out there somewhere, thinking, where the fuck is Nick? It's yeah. New Year's Eve. Not only Nick, where the fuck are most of my belongings? Because he clearly steals as much as he can from every girlfriend that he's with to yeah. give him... Another excuse to go back to the storage unit yet again with another fresh haul. Yeah, exactly. Even if he is not a serial killer, which, to be clear, he is, then (laughs) he is not boyfriend material. No, he is a kleptomaniac serial killer. Absolutely. Okay, this is a New Year's episode. We didn't get a Christmas episode. His name is Nick, though. Oh, jolly old Saint Nick. Saint Nick. That was my first assumption, and then I remembered, oh yeah, this is not a Christmas special, this is a New Year special. He is quite saintly. He volunteers himself for sacrifice. Yeah, it's also called, it's elf storage. He's Nick. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's a nice touch. I think it's a very nice touch. Oh, so I'm a bit surprised about your reaction to the cold open, because my opening question was, did I ask fairly recently whether we'd have the most exciting cold open ever, which... I believe I did at the start of Flux. Well, I don't have problems with the cold open. I only have problems with the acting in that scene when he checks oh, okay. in. Yeah. Okay. Because the rest my, of it is, is fine. Yeah, bar a few things question, that make no sense. My follow-up question was going to be, when the credits rolled here, I rocked back in my chair. Is this one of the best cold opens ever? Yeah. No, not like this. They get zapped. It's great. Yeah. When the credits roll, I was like, oh, draw on the floor, 4.9. <laughs> Take my money. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a very strong cold open. I totally agree. Absolutely agree. A few points, just a few points. Question. I can't remember if we talked about this in the bonus. If you have seven seconds to leave the TARDIS before you're gold-fingered inside of it, would you not tell your companions to just wait by the door while you pull the lever? Absolutely. Or just let them out beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Wait, that's a much better idea. Because Do that. are you starting the resetting process as you fly through the time vortex? Are you resetting and landing in the same instant? No, you're not. I don't think so, no. No, you're anchoring yourself somewhere mm. and letting the TARDIS take care of itself once it is parked. Yeah. <sighs> and that was why I took 0.1 off the cold open, because that twinned with the overly portentous music cue of, 
we would die. And it cuts to tinkling piano going, dun 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 Exactly <laughs> like that. For goodness sake, the artificial peril here. Yeah. Twinned with the cynical heartstring tugging. No, just do it remotely. You have a blooming, <laughs> whack, whack, blooming remote locking. Have a remote reset button with your Sonic. Not the only thing I wish they used a remote for in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the very beginning. I also feel they should have used a remote at the very end with the explosion. Oh. <laughs> Don't rely on the mum to make a phone call. Mm, yeah, she just needs a trigger thingy. Yeah, a trigger a trigger on this thing or use your Sonic. You've used your Sonic for everything else in this episode. Yes, yeah. lots of Sonic. What if it's been set up so many times on every loop, it's set up by the mum. What if the line's are all busy when she tries to ring through. What if that is the case? At least from Ireland. Because everybody from Ireland, they love FaceTime. They love seeing their loved ones at 10 But what's going to happen now? What's going to happen is her mum has called, doesn't get through because the thing explodes. And at least until she then hears from her daughter, from Sarah, she's going to assume that she was right and that the phone lines don't work. But they're not going to die, are they? They're going to get out. The Daleks are not going to be destroyed. Yeah, but the, the phone is destroyed, different. is what I mean. Like, she calls, the thing explodes, the conversation is cut short. Oh, sugar, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That actually was a question that I had. Oh. What is the mother's experience from outside this time loop of, in the ten minutes to midnight, six or seven utterly non-sequitur calls increasingly baffling from her daughter? <laughs> well, she only experiences one call. The mum. Surely. I don't see how. Because well, when time loops, the mum isn't looping. But it, yeah, exactly. So it only loops in the facility. Oh, it's a localised so, loop. I believe so. I don't think it's a Earth-wide, galaxy-wide, cosmos-wide loop. I think yeah. it's just the facility. Yeah, but like when Ashling B looks at the phone and it's like, oh, it's uh, 2357. Yeah. That's the time on Earth at that point. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So and she's she... already called her mum at 2352, 2354, 2355. Oh, you're so right. And she's going to call her again in the lift at 2358. That, that is so right. Yeah. Oh, fuck this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, you are so right. Why does she not remember? Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm slashing points off this. That is a very clever observation. <laughs> but I'm happy to forgive it for that call at 2358 where she's like, Mammy, Mammy, I know we have our differences, but I do love you. And she's like, Oh, why are you saying that? Oh, no, are you ill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery. Oh, comedy legend Mrs. Doyle right there. Amazing. I don't recognize that. That's from Father Ted, was it? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, I've never seen it. Mm. Fun fact for everyone in this room currently. Hello, me. At one point. My buddy Rico sent me a Father Ted DVD box set for Christmas, in fact. Oh, how festive, how topical. And my fuck-off shit neighbours stole it. What? And didn't give it to me. The bricks through Most the wall. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I ruined am. your life for nine months. I'm going to Taking over your garden. Yeah, yeah. Those days. When? How did they steal it? What? Yeah, let's put a pin in that and I'll tell you more about that later. They also nicked a book of mine. Anyway, yeah, fuck it. What? Right. That's just a little peek behind the curtain, podcast land. Right. (laughs) (laughs) A little hand creeping in behind the curtain and stealing your stuff and taking it to a storage facility. Anyway, I didn't recognize her. So is she a legend? Is she an absolute legend? (laughs) Well, Father Ted does have a sort of hallowed place in sitcom history. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I used that word fairly appropriately. And Mrs. Doyle, absolutely, she had to flee from the character. Like, she wouldn't do interviews for a while because Mrs. Doyle was so iconic and she was playing someone 30 years older 
than her and she was just like i'm really not this person like wow okay yeah it's kind of a bugbear for her for a while but damn was she funny yeah and she was funny here. There yeah, was I was lots say, of humor in this episode. I can absolutely see how she has comedy chops. Mm. Definitely. Good stuff. Do you have any introductory questions? Or shall we jump uh, oh. to another character? Let's jump to another character. If we're going up from Nick, the next one is Dan. <laughs> 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 well, if we're saving the best for last, right, yeah, then yeah. it's John Bishop's turn. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. He's one of the weakest links of this episode, right? Yeah. He cannot act... But also, he's given the worst material. Yeah, he's given scenes with great potential, and then those scenes are written in a direction that just has him squander that potential or piss all over his fellow companion. Explain! I'll give you two examples. Squander potential. Okay. That one loop, which is another failing, I think, of this episode. That one loop where they go, fuck it, we'll just make sure that we die at some point in this loop, and then we'll come back and it'll be fine. Like, this is the decoy loop or whatever they call it. Yes. He goes up, he picks up a box. Oh, he hits the lift button, he leaves the lift, separates from the others, like, I'll take the second, darling. Yeah, I'll do this one. You saved the universe last week, it's the least I can do. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Pops out, grabs a just a random cardboard box, finds a Dalek, and then has what I'm almost certain that I said in B077 felt like (laughs) a very William Hartnelly moment to me. Yeah. And I, to be clear, love this scene. Mm-hmm. Where he's mm-hmm. having that little tete-a-tete with a Dalek. He's being so silly and arrogant, and it really works. Daleks do not have managers. Yeah, well, maybe that's part of your problem. Exactly. I mean, it's not a scene that I want to see in any other episode of Doctor Who. Or rather, I don't want to see that scene in an episode any other time of the year. Uh-huh, but gotcha. when we're in a holiday special, that kind of thing is legit. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job of it. A super great job of it. It also harkens back. The reason I mentioned Hartnell is it, it harkens back ha- to the Hartnell's way that... Back. It, it Hartnell's back to the way that you could best a Dalek. You know, you chuck a tablecloth over it, or you just run around it in circles, yeah. and they're discombobulated. Or you ascend a step. Whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally any prop. Yeah, they were the most terrifying space Nazi killer machines in the universe. But actually, if you just blinded it, just by holding your hand against its eye stalk, it didn't know what to do. Yeah. He does that for a little bit, and then they write the scene to just end there. Presumably just because, well, this is the decoy loop and we don't want to spend too much time on it. But by doing that, they're setting up him as being really charming and personable and brave, etc., etc., which he then isn't later on. Mm. And they set up the Daleks as being very easily bested, which later on, they are not. And they also curtail a really entertaining scene, unnecessarily. That was one of my questions. Why didn't he keep spinning around doing the Pasadoble with the Dalek? That is exactly what I've written. Yeah. What, Pasadoble? No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) He he basically takes three steps back and says, all right, now I'm in my Jesus pose. Yeah. Now you can fire. Exactly. I've written, Dan did so well to delay the Dalek, why did he stop? Yeah. He does a great job. In fact, and this is my problem with that loop, why does anyone stop? Why would anyone there go, well, we're going to deliberately sacrifice ourselves? Don't. You're going to die at some point. These are Daleks. You're not going to survive this. Just try to be alive for as long as you can. Yeah. Don't run headfirst into lasers. And you will explore more of the facility and find more potential resources and more ideas may come to you. Exactly. Also, how does this help them? What's the plan with the decoy loop? I guess they know where they're start. Well, they don't know where they're starting from, do they? Because the Daleks always start in a different place. So, yeah, at another point, the Doctor is like, well, we've all got four minutes each. That adds up to 20 minutes. 
every minute is gold. It's so valuable. There's absolutely no way we should sacrifice ourselves before those 20 minutes are up. Yep. Yep. So why? The... Exactly. So that Dan can do the Jesus pose. That is exactly right, yeah. It's that and they have a very limited runtime, so they have to prioritise. But I, I think guess. what they should have done is they should have cut one of the other loops out of it. Spent more time on this loop. Yeah, or just had the Daleks be even more deadly. Because I really liked how the Daleks, for most of this episode, were ahead of everybody. Yeah. They were a formidable foe and the Doctor had to match wits with them and take them on. and Completely agree shortcut their strategies and think two or three moves ahead. So these are different types of Daleks. These are Dalek executioners, I think they're called. Oh, really? Or Dalek assassins. I think executioners. They have that Gatling gun, the mitraillier kind of thing, which is very badass. (laughs) Shooting your way through an old door. (laughs) (laughs) Gatling gun, my ass. So what else separates them from the other Daleks? Like, what makes these Daleks so special? This what? must be the nth type of Dalek that Chibbers has introduced. Oh, yes. This isn't the... Infiltration Dalek, or whatever. The Rogue the Squad Daleks, That's the Death the, Squad yeah, yeah. Daleks, yeah. SAS Daleks, yeah. Is it that they can create that force field? Is it that they can think outside of time? No, not time loops. Um, I don't know. I didn't know that they were new kind of Daleks, honestly. Did they say in the episode? I registered them as Dalek executioners or whatever, or assassins or something. It's on whobeckwin.com, so I'm assuming I got this from Talis Wikia. Okay. Who in turn got it from BBC. I just took them to be Daleks as they should be. Yeah? Because if they are the deadliest killing machines in the universe, then they're all deadly. Not one small subset of 11 or 12 types of mediocre Daleks are actually worth hunting the Doctor down with. They should all be like this. I totally agree. Yeah, this is the same kind of conundrum that we always stumble upon when we get a Dalek or a Cyber or some one representative of a classic foe who is so clever. Mm. Why don't you just splice this trait into all of you? (laughs) That one time that we had the Dalek who was really good at hacking, why didn't they do that with all the Daleks? Why could only one Dalek be cut in four pieces and then have the four pieces teleport back into one another and reconstitute a Dalek? Oh, the Scout Dalek. Why can't every Dalek do that? That seems like a trait that's kind of useful. And the same could be said for these. If they're so clever, then maybe splice them into everyone. But I agree, yeah. So The the Scout Dalek might be physically different, but the hacking Dalek, there's a Dalek internet. (laughs) Everybody has access to that information. The Dinternet. Yes, that's right. (laughs) No, I agree. These were really, really good Daleks. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also lots of good Dalek lines. Yeah? Like what? I am not Nick. Oh yeah. I think he must have talked about previously because of Nick Briggs being the voice of the Daleks. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> really? I did not even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. I did. Well oh, done, well. episode. Well that's excellent. I'm looking at the transcript. We have Daleks do not store stuff, Daleks do not have managers, Daleks do not have friends. Yeah. Daleks are never sorry. Right, okay, sure. Slight repetitiveness about this, but <laughs> sure, no, I can buy it. Daleks are not fair. Yes, okay, yeah. it is a bit madlyby. I'm sure that's the idea. That's the joke. Yeah. But I like them. Yeah. I think this episode benefits from having so many elements working in its favour. It has Mammy, it has Ashling B, it has the funny Daleks, and they all bring each other up. In some episodes, and this isn't specific to Chibbers, but his episodes are prone to it as well, there will be maybe three jokes in a 20-minute stretch, and two of them will stink. 
and one of them will be okay. Yeah. But the okay one suffers because it's like, <laughs> this is the best thing in 20 minutes. Whereas here, everything is good or better. And it just lifts all the rest. You're just constantly predisposed for another chuckle with these Dalek lines. They don't sound so great when they're exerted, but when they're part of the ensemble. Did you find that the humans provided comedy in the same way? Or did most of the comedy come from these Daleks? Because it's a little paradoxical that we're saying these Daleks were exactly as terrifying and menacing as we've always wanted Daleks to be. Wow, were they funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were funny in a ruthless way. They were funny in the way that when the Daleks took on the Cybermen in RTD's era, they were sarcastic bastards. That is true, yeah. And we loved that. (laughs) It was of a piece. It fitted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The humans do provide some comedy. I keep talking about Ashling B and everything. Even Jodie. Even Jodie. Jodie Whittaker is perfectly capable of delivering funny lines. Sure. She had some. What are some good Jodie moments? Because I then want to line up some bad companion moments. Oh, okay. See? See? If you're still listening, Mr. One Star. Not just positive stuff. Dick. Sort of skipping sideways there, because this is just what's coming to mind. But when she is taking on the Daleks, facing them down, she is so indomitable. Especially near the end, when she's been killed a few times. Oh, that's one of them. One of the oh, lines is, oh, yeah. I'm angry now. Being exterminated will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah. That's solid stuff. Yeah, she's just been like, come on then. Come on then, shoot me, and I'll just come back angrier. Loved that. I thought she amped that up nicely throughout the episode. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Ah. Oh, well done, Jordy. Shit companions time. Yeah, shit companions time. All Give right. us a second star, you prick. <laughs> We haven't talked about Yaz. We haven't singled out Yaz to talk about her. We've shat on Dan for a little bit. Those two, Yaz and Dan. Sheffield and Liverpool. Yeah. They're sort of set up to have chemistry, and I do not buy a single iota of it. No. And there are a couple of bits where it's meant to be really funny, I think. Oh, right. When Dan says, thanks, Sheffield, and Yaz is like, oh, fuck off, Dan. (laughs) Eat a giant plate of turds, Dan. (laughs) No one asked your opinion, you scouse twat. (laughs) I'm thinking of scenes like when the Dalek... Okay, an example of a funny Dalek and a not funny, an unfunny human companion. A Dalek looks at Dan and says, the inferior human, Mm. dot, dot, dot. Can't even remember what it was. Dan goes, what do you mean inferior and then Yaz jumps in with an example yeah. of chemistry and what does she say? You're Pretty right smart Daleks. Not the right time for that line. Nope. Felt like a really poor line delivery, which might be down to directing. I don't know. It might be down to an actress just <sighs> it's three years a, of this stuff. It's just such a lazy bit of comedy writing. Yeah. And the delivery is poor. It feels really out of place. And more importantly, it does not convince me that those two have that kind of rapport at all. Which Dan later says comes from their having spent four years together. Yeah. And actually, what he says in that speech is quite indicative of how it's been all along. Dan's been observing Yaz closely. He's the junior on the team. He's been learning the ropes. He's been the companion to her doctor while the doctor's been absent. And Yaz just hasn't been paying him any mind, apart from putting him down occasionally when the opportunity arises. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the scene where he accurately identifies 
in conversation with her that he knows she quote like likes like likes doc we must discuss this can we talk about that scene and can we talk about the fact that dan without consent outs yes yeah which is not cool and also just breaks that trust yes maybe has her reasons for not telling doc that she quote like likes her yeah She's, she's got just a lot to lose. That it's not going to be reciprocated. Whatever it might be, you know. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people like people, like others, and don't want them to know about it. Absolutely. Yeah, she's been so petrified of losing the Doctor yeah. since the end of series 11, I guess. Is that when she first went away for a while? Something like that. But she was in the prison whenever that was. Yeah, after Dadoon. Yeah, that's a perfectly good reason for her not to come right out and say, you know what, Doc, I'm going to lay it all on the line for you. If we're not 69 and in five minutes flat, then, well, (laughs) what good are you to me? Yeah. Okay, separating these two scenes, I kind of like that Dan forces the truth out of Yaz. Like, oh, come on. You really fancy her. You're in love with her. I know it. I've watched you gazing into that perpetual battery-operated hologram machine, whatever it was. Yeah, and I rolled my eyes when that scene came because I knew it was coming, and it didn't bother me. No, it's... Because the first part of it, that scene, is fine. If they'd left it there, then that would be great, and they could have picked it up in Sea Devils. Yeah, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because it's been moving so glacially to this point, and then for it all to be dropped in, in Act 3, when time is looping down on itself, yeah. and they're spending more and more of each successively smaller chunk talking about this rather than trying to survive. Yes, exactly. In addition to that, how is this the first time this has come up? So they've travelled for four years together. Yeah. They could only afford the one cabin aboard the cruiser. Or a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. They're constantly together. It's only when... What's his name? Eustatius... What's his name? Eustatius Jericho. It's only when he picks up his little burlap bag and goes, I'm going to go shit in this. And he, <laughs> le- <laughs> he leaves the cabin. It's only then that they get a moment to themselves. But he's an old man. He's going to be shitting at least twice a day. <laughs> sure he's fine. He's probably shitting twice a week at most. <laughs> Just a puff of smoke. <laughs> No, they have had plenty of opportunities for Dan to go, well, we're stuck in the past. At the very least, can you just have a conversation with me like a human being and confess to me that you love this woman? Yeah, please. Some kind of emotional connection. (laughs) Anything that doesn't involve defecating into burlap bags. (laughs) Just any sort of loud sound to drown out the noise. (laughs) Yeah. While, like a triffid pollen cloud smoke comes <laughs> out from underneath the door of behind wherever Eustatius Jericho is shitting into a bag. <laughs> Sounds like they're sanding a dresser in there. It's like someone having a cough mid-pipe smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, yeah, it seems odd that they haven't had this conversation already, and it seems doubly odd that they're having this conversation right now while they're under duress. Yeah. But I still prefer that half of the conversation to the half where Yaz is absent and Doc shows up. Definitely. That's a horrible scene. Yeah. That and every subsequent callback to it. Yeah. It grated on me. The Doctor is feverishly spending, what, are they down to four or three minutes at this point? Something like that, yeah. And she's burrowing away in a corner with something, coming up with a genuine plan B instead of the decoy plan B. Yeah. 
And Dan's essentially calling her out on not being able to admit she might have a same-sex thing going on. That's a lot to think about on top of everything else, right then? Yeah, that's true. There is that, because clearly she's not entirely ready. Like, she's forced into a position of readiness to confront that or to verbalize that. Yeah. Doctor, I... Like, it doesn't even matter. She's in love with someone. She's secretly in love with someone. And he just goes, oh, yeah, by the way, she's uh, secretly in love with you. Fuck you, Dan. Yeah. Like, absolutely fuck you. (laughs) In every single ear. (laughs) (laughs) A, he needs to sort out his priorities. And B, if he has any respect for Yaz, then he'll let Yaz do it in her own way. Exactly. Yeah. The second half of that scene should have been him again talking to Yaz... And maybe trying to convince her that, well, the clock is ticking. We might not make it out of this. If you feel like there's something that you want to tell Doc, now's probably not a bad time. Add a little bit of drama and gravitas to it. And then maybe you could even have a scene where she does pour her heart out. She tells Doc, I really like you or I love you. It doesn't even have to be. She just have to say it in some way that is easily identifiable to Doc as a right demarcated emotion. And then Doc still saves the day. And now they are stuck and the truth is out there. But they're really happy that that's happened. There's another scene, by the way. Oh, fuck me. Missed opportunity. Okay. The very last bit. The fireworks are off. Yeah. That was the perfect opportunity for Doc and Yaz to just hold hands and look at the fireworks. They're standing right next to each other. Yeah. We get that shot behind them, sort of silhouetted against the fireworks. Doc now clearly, doubtlessly is aware that Yaz fancies her in some way whatever way might even love her we've got a hint that doc maybe reciprocates yeah why don't do that and holding hands is a gesture that you can interpret in any way you want yeah that's true but what i mean is that's a good thing because that gives dramatic tension over the the next three or four months yeah Yeah. while you're waiting for legend of the sea devils which way is this gonna go she's just held her hand she said happy new year yaz has said happy new year none of them has been so presumptuous or obtuse as to go right in for a kiss then and there and they just look at each other and you think Oh, well. I mean, I did think, I did wonder, is this a good kiss moment? Because I think there are two arguments here. You can go either way. Either they have really forced this relationship, this dynamic between them in the 11th hour. They grandfathered it in. The comparison that we discussed in B077 was Ten and Rose. Okay. Which had so many seasons of build-up. Like, there's so many episodes, so much time to build up to that moment, to that revelation. And to that kiss, like, to that moment where, like, wow, they really care about each other and they fancy each other. This is great. So you can't do that in half an episode or maybe an episode and a half or whatever, however much time they've had now. It's not a lot of time. So you might argue it's too soon to have a kiss. Have a kiss in like four or five episodes time. Yeah. The other argument is you don't have four or five episodes. You've got this and another two. Yeah. Fucking speed up. Just pretend like it's always been building up under the surface. Just make this happen right now. End on a kiss cliffhanger. Done. Happy New Year, everyone. Well, I guess they went for the middle option and please nobody. That's what happened there. Yeah. The two committees were at war and Chibbers was in the middle. Yeah, well, wherever he was, (laughs) that storyline lost out. And I feel like that's a massive missed opportunity. And there's also been the unfortunate pattern of whenever Yaz, on the few occasions to date, has given a hint about her feelings for the Doctor, 
Then the doctor has told her to do something and she's become incredibly stroppy straight yeah. away. Yes. And she does it again in this episode. Yeah. The doctor has to calm her down. The doctor is again wasting precious 20 seconds of their last three minutes before the two and the one. Being like, yes, I'm sorry that you're so fucking delicate, but... <laughs> I really have stuff to do. We're going to die. Yeah. Can you not be mardy at me <laughs> right now? It's pathetic. It really is. Yeah, there's an imbalance there. There's some kind of relationship imbalance or characterization imbalance. Yeah. Missed opportunity retro rewrite pin from a few minutes ago. Yeah. Dan learning that there's a second Dalek. Uh-huh. Maybe that's not why he gets out to lift. Maybe he's already had the conversation with Yaz. Leaves Doc and Yaz alone in the lift to maybe have a chat. I love that idea. And that's why he leaves. That is such a good idea. That's a great retro rewrite. Yeah, just move it back in the episode a bit, move things around, and then there would be a place. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out of gold stars, but gold star, buddy. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) And then you can infer his smugness rather than close-ups on his face as he sagely nods. Yeah, 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 I've yeah. done the best possible thing here. Yeah, yeah, this is all thanks to me. Yeah, I've played a blinder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just really manspread while I, while I nod. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have one more point on Yaz. Oh, please, tell me. I, dear listeners, re-watched the last two loops of the episode just before we started recording because it got so quick and I was taking notes and it all got big on me. Uh-huh. And I wasn't wrong. Doc's plan for the final minute still hinges on running down a corridor and Yaz, whom the Doc has pledged to keep safe, is bringing up the rear of this cart that they're moving through said corridor as the Dalek zaps from behind. Why are they not both dragging it? Like, why on earth would she risk her like that? Well, for the same reason that why on earth does the Dalek not hit them? These are executioner Daleks with Gatling guns... Yeah. Why is this the one moment that they turn into fast? But it's not the one moment because there are multiple ones. When they find Jeff's secret store of gas canisters, and this is a mistake on the part of the set designer, I guess. They are in a space exactly two people wide. They are in like a little niche with all this steel framing around them, this framework. And the Dalek is firing into the space exactly two people wide and manages to miss them entirely. Right. Yeah. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is similar to the Hartnellian scene earlier. Pick a Dalek. Either it is a silly Dalek who can't hit anything and who is very easily bested, or it is a terrifying, singularly evil and efficient executioner slash assassin who is inescapable. Yeah. You could give the Dalek a little more reason to miss, because they always seem to be right up close. They always seem to be about eight feet away. From where they couldn't possibly miss. Yeah. Make it appear from across a much bigger room with more obstacles in the way that it progressively fires through and gives them a chance to get away rather than, oh, they're in absolute inescapable danger. Well, they escaped the danger. Well, how did you feel about the two Daleks who kill each other? (sighs) Well. The ducking scene. I don't know if I said this in our Ranskorav Kolos review. Yeah. But I made a note. Uh And I may have said this in there. The ducking so the two teams of sniper bots take out each other was recycled by Chibnall himself in Eve of the Daleks. So 0.1 off that once we get to it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's happening. Right, okay. Yeah, because I can believe it of shitty sniper bots, but not Daleks, which is what I possibly then subsequently said. Right, yeah, gotcha. 
This all tracks. Yeah. <laughs> very, very annoying. And they are firing willy-nilly later on with their Gatling guns at various trajectories and levels and angles. The fire is spreading up and down and left and right, and he's just there on the floor in the super close-up, and it's lit by the gunfire. And No, 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 with a no on top. Okay, I have to ask the question, how much of this are you prepared to forgive based on the fact that this is a holiday special? Not that. Not that? Okay. Not that. I feel like that's basic physics. I feel like a Dalek might be bested in a jolly, capery kind of way. But this isn't that. This is a lazy idea that shouldn't have been used the first time, let alone reused, hmm. with the series' primary foe, no matter yeah. what time of year. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, actually. Yeah. Incidentally, what's the best holiday special? Well, hang on, there are a lot of them. Yeah, 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 because yeah. one just sprang to mind. That's the only reason I'm asking. It may not even be the one that I've rated the highest. Oh, you know what I need to do? I need to add a list to whobackman.com of Christmas specials or holiday specials. Well, you needed to have done that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's an obvious one. Well, it's not Dr. Mysterio. No. Yeah, there's an obvious one. And then there's another one that isn't perhaps quite as obvious, but is also absolutely fantastic, which was the one that I was thinking of. I know what it is numerically for me. Well, numerically for me, it's the snowmen, which I'm weirdly oh. not remembering much of. I gave that a 4.3. Wow. Numerically for me, it's Time of the Doctor, Matt no. Smith's Farewell. Yeah, I wasn't so enamoured. No, you gave it 3.3. Planet but, Christmas. But the one, that, Cyberman. the one that sprang to mind for me was Last Christmas, Capaldi's Inception episode. That's a good one. I prefer The Runaway Bride and The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe, I think. Oh, Runaway Bride is good as well, yeah. Yeah, all right. Rad. <laughs> okay, tangent over. Tangent over. Why not flood the facility with Daleks? Why are we sticking to one, then two, then three? Yeah, I asked this question in the bonus as well. Ooh. And this led to another question, which is different from a question that I asked myself when I watched this last night. First, I was like, all right, so there's one Dalek. Oh, no, there are two Daleks. Yeah, and they introduced it at a really good time as well. Yeah. Because our heroes, the protagonists, had just figured something out. They're like, ah, we're taking it to the next level. And then the episode took the Daleks to the next level. It's yeah. great. And then all of a sudden, there's a third Dalek. And I don't remember that third Dalek getting an introduction cue. No. It's just there. He just appears. Deep voice Dalek has entered the facility. So where was that Dalek all along? Why wasn't that Dalek in elf storage? The question that we asked in B077 was, are these the last Daleks in the universe? Nope, because they've been sent by Dalek High Command. That is also said oh, in this episode. Yeah, all right. Our question answered. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, B077. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, you're right. So why not just flood elf storage? Or, you've put a force field around it, here's a thought, blow it up inside the force field. Uh, yeah, nuke also it. possible. Just nuke it. Well, there's yet another opportunity. Everybody is not really sotto voce scheming here. Mm -hmm. Couldn't the Daleks just surround them? Set them up against the wall, say, do not move, or you will die. And then just wait to hear what the Doctor whispers to Yaz, like, oh, so now we're going to do a decoy plan, we are here. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Still love the construction. I really did. I do as well. I totally agree. Two questions for you about the construction of it, about this Groundhog Day loop structure. Yeah. One, aside from the fact that this is a New Year special, why does the loop end at midnight? And how do they know that it ends at midnight? The Doctor doesn't actually say 
the the TARDIS will take 10 minutes to reset. That's what I assumed it was. Oh, really? Yeah, once the TARDIS has finished resetting, that's when the time loop stops. Oh, I see. I think. Okay. I guess that makes sense then. Yeah, I'm not sure why I questioned it. Well, because it's not explained, but but <laughs> it's not a bad way of doing it, especially when it ties in with it's been messed up by the flux. Yeah. So that would seem to make it less reliable to me. Oh, I need to flush all the shitty flux out of my TARDIS. Yeah. Goodness knows how long that's going to take. We've all oh, had a, a reinstalling software ticker on, on our screens at some point where it goes... 43%, 24 minutes remaining, 44%, 32 minutes remaining. Like it's yeah. just jumping up and down. You don't know. So why wouldn't Todd? Well, I guess that's way? why the doctor then doesn't say, oh, it will definitely be over in 10 minutes. So it's just a coincidence, but it's got to be a length of time. It's got to have a time loopy structure. Yeah, that I is think true. it all hangs together nicely. Well, we never get to see the loop happen without all of them having died. Yeah. So are the Daleks just the- kicking their feet? On Jeff's sofa, being like, I don't understand. I oh. so many cushions. <laughs> well done, 347. We did it. Yes, that's right, 356. <laughs> Give me another beer. Give me a handy. And then, <laughs> and then they have a great time. Then all of a sudden, boo, back to the loop. What? <laughs> I was so close. So <laughs> there is that. But we never get to see a loop close while they're alive, while anyone's alive. Right? Yes. Close the loop. Keep closing. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't. My point being, at the end, they blow up the building. You could just loop them back to the start and just have it end on a, oh, fuck. (laughs) Or just go, oh, right. No, this is way more complicated. Oh, and then have a second episode, a two-parter. I'm not proposing that. But (laughs) in general, I don't see, aside from this being a New Year special, why the loop has to close at midnight. It doesn't. But it has to close at some point. What better time yeah. could it possibly be? Yeah. Holiday special logic, I'm happy with that. That's yeah. one of the things that I'm happy to forgive. You know? yeah. yeah. And also, it doesn't work if it would be Earth Midnight or UK Midnight, because what possible significance could that have? And yeah. there's 24 midnights across the world. So, nah, just don't go into it. Just have it be a nice... I can forgive a coincidence. I think there are more than 24. Oh, because India's five and a half hours ahead, sure. Exactly. And I believe uh, Newfoundland is also on one of those half hour slots. I mm-hmm. think so. Anyway, one of the loops. Yes. This is the loop after St. Nick ducks. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure both Sarah and Nick die in the first minute. Sarah dies in the lift. She materializes. There's instantly a Dalek in front of her. She's like, fuck. She runs into the lift. The Dalek shoots the lift button. She presses the button. Doesn't work. Gets shot. Yeah. Why isn't she permanently dead? I think when she's worried about Nick dying, she mentions that he always dies before five to midnight. Nick doesn't survive past five to. So I guess... The rules are, the logic is, if in a time loop you have survived to the beginning of whatever time loop is beginning, then you get another go. Well, the loop, it loops back to one minute less every time, right? Yeah. So if you die within 59 seconds, you're not going to be looped back to. No, if you have to survive into every single contiguous time loop, then what you're saying is absolutely right. But if you just need to have survived to 11.59 in any old time loop, then I think you're fine. 
I think that's the logic the episode is using. I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm saying that's what's being applied. Because she's sure that they will all be reanimated once it gets to 5-2, but Nick is the one who won't because he hasn't made it that far yet. Yeah, in that particular... Well, in we are talking about different loops, though. Okay. So, And it's because of that one earlier loop where Nick dies too soon. Or, like, if he dies before whatever o'clock it is, then he won't be looped back to. That's why she goes to try to save him. So she's talking about the loop directly before. That's, you're talking about the loop where he ducks. I'm talking about the loop after he ducks. Okay. She, yeah, you're right. She's like, oh, fuck, if he dies now, if I'm not there to save him, if I'm not there to help him live for another 45 seconds or something, then when we loop back, we're going to loop back to a point where he has already died and he will not be there. He'll just be either a corpse on the floor or gone. I don't know what happens to him, but he won't be around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So the next loop around, presumably everyone only has 59 seconds to ensure that they will make it to the next loop. In fact, in any loop, they only have 59 seconds to do that. But I'm almost certain that she dies within like 20 seconds. There is a loop where they all meet at a very abrupt end. Really? All of them? I think so, yeah. There's one catastrophically bad loop where the Daleks look completely insuperable. Hmm. Which is why I'm holding on to this theory of, ah, you do it once, you're probably fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right. Because fine. otherwise, if what you're saying is true, then, then it just doesn't hold together at all. And maybe it doesn't. Yeah. And maybe that is also <laughs> part of holiday logic. Yeah. Right. Anything else? Did you want to talk any more about Ashling B? Do you? Talk to me about Ashling B. Talk I- about how long she's going to survive past getting into a cab with her serial killer boyfriend. Yeah, I noticed that they only showed the tyres and then the taxi driving away. It seemed very impersonal. It was like, don't think too hard about how the second this car is out of shot, everyone but Nick is getting garroted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post-credit sequence, we just get to see Nick's hand writing Sarah on a post-it note and sticking it on a fresh rack in a room across the road. (laughs) (laughs) No, in a morgue across the road. (laughs) <laughs> and closing another drawer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where are they going? Where are they off to? <laughs> Halfway across the world. As far away from Mammy as possible. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Hopefully not that river in Praxius. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> the American the bin, fast food wrappers. Bin bag beach. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for not clearing it up, guys. How is your vlog going, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great. I was going to say, Ashling is, is so full of energy. In anyone who wasn't Irish, it would seem really fake and forced. But because she's Irish, it's like, ah, of course. She's just a lovable, garrulous TV personality stereotype. Uh, sure yeah. what fun this is as she witters in Leon <laughs> because she's irish and i could listen to this lilt all day oh absolutely no it's an incredibly charming accent it's, it's lovely she is terrific like, yeah she's just absolutely terrific Mm-mm. also both she and nick wait hang on who is he he's a comedian as well is he i think i may have looked him up at the time now i don't remember i did not recognize him when i watched the episode last night who and johnny salmon that's the guy I don't know anything about this guy. Fair enough. Okay, I take it back then. So I'm guessing he has a parallel comedy career going on. Okay, yeah. Actor, writer, director. Yeah, he's doing it all. He's getting famous by any means necessary. Even appearing in Doctor Who. (laughs) Fair enough. Bing bong, future Drew back when here. For those who don't know, including my past self of two days ago. 
Ajani Salmon created the BAFTA award-winning web series Dreaming Whilst Black, which he has since adapted into a BBC series of the same name, which is being released on iPlayer the day after this episode drops, funnily enough, 24th of July. So maybe check it out. Bing bong. I was going to say that it's clear that they're both TV personalities because they've got such great teeth. Oh, his practically glow-in-the-dark, you see them Both late in the them. episode. At the end, holy smokes, when they're looking at each other, we get that close-up, they're right by the taxi. I was just thinking, I'll have to invest in some sort of teach-bleaching kit or something. Those two look fabulous. Absolutely yeah. sensational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well done. I know Ashling B mostly from This Way Up, which is a Channel 4 sitcom. It's part of the Sharon Horgan mega media conglomerate complex. Okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with it. It's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. the great thing about Ashling B's character is, in contrast to Dan and Yaz... You care. No. I do care, <laughs> but she isn't freighted with anything to do with the show. She doesn't show any undue respect or reverence to the Doctor because she doesn't know who the Doctor is, except someone who's being pursued by killer robots with stupid names. She never has to say something that her character would never say to make the show work. Which that is true. Dan and Yaz have to do all the fucking time. It's what made Donna Noble great. Not that she was shouty, but she was a person. It's what made Wilfred Mott fantastic. Yeah. Bernard Cribbins was just this guy in this fictional world, being a dude, Didn't being an Donna old man. Did also have to say things to keep the show going, to have her storyline and the canon make sense? But it wasn't so jarring. No. I was having a conversation with uh, Flappy Doodles last night. What? Why isn't he on the call? In part, about Donna Noble. (gasps) Because obviously, you know, she's coming back. So I know I've said a lot of things about Donna Noble, but there came a point in the conversation, like really, really early on. It's essentially what the conversation was about. It came a point where it just went, I don't actually remember what my beef was with Donna Noble, (laughs) because fuck me, what an arc she had. That character had such an arc. And I do remember the chemistry was really terrific with Tennant, but there was some... I need to rewatch that entire run because I know that there was something that really got on my nerves, but I think maybe she was great. Donna Noble was abrasive, don't get me wrong. Okay. So, Anne Murray. <laughs> there is a pop star right now called Anne Marie. I think she pops up in my Ticketmaster emails, and every oh, yeah. time I see the name, Anne Murray, <laughs> every single time. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But yeah. Check out our teaser for uh, Turn Left. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, <laughs> podcast land. Drew is miming. Yeah. In more great radio. But yeah. <laughs> really good. Dan gets amputated here. He loses all limbs except whatever three-legged nonsense needs to make the handbrake turn that the show is attempting wait what kind of creature is driving what kind of vehicle (laughs) none of it makes any sense is my point okay (laughs) my note is he's just died eight times but his heart is monomaniacally set on matchmaking at this point yeah Ah. yeah well neither one of us is a big fan of dan so no. We get it. It's fine. But he also has a harder job. Ashling B can just come along and be witty and fast-talking and Irish. And, and then that's leave. what she is. And, and then, then, then go. Out. Yeah. yeah. And she doesn't have to say, uh, why would you give me that to say? She doesn't have to swallow anything. Yeah, she's also not belabored by history. She doesn't have to refer back to those four years or pretend like she has 
any kind of chemistry with the person she doesn't. <laughs> she's there for one night only, and she's making the most of it. Segway from chemistry. Yes. How do you think her progression towards getting together with Nick was handled? I wanted to ask you this as well. I'm not so sure, man. Mm-hmm. It felt a little abrupt to me. And yes. He goes from so awkward, weird, and clearly has either psychological or criminal problems <laughs> yeah. to, no, you know, he's a good guy and I really care about him. I think actually the problem with their relationship transitioning too quickly is in the depiction of his character transitioning too quickly. Oh, you think or it's... too abruptly, yeah. Ah, okay. I think we're meant to feel like he's always been charming from the very get-go. There's that point in the beginning where she goes, did you practice that line? And he says, yeah. Yeah. Like a wounded puppy. And she looks up at him and she seems to feel bad about having disparaged him. Yeah. And I think we're meant to believe that that is the beginning of their emotional arc. But I absolutely do not buy that because he is a fucking head case who, what, has practiced that one shit line that he's delivering while he's delivering his ex-girlfriend's possibly latest stabbing (laughs) victim's belongings to this thing. No, she should not aspire to be in a relationship with him. Well, I don't think it does begin there. Where does it begin? I think it begins with her realising he came to save her. His first instinctive reaction was to come to save her, whereas her first instinctive reaction was not to save him. It was to find a weapon. Yeah, sure. No, Okay, that is fair. Yeah. And then just as they are processing that and she's finally offloading some of the Catholic guilt, she sees him get shot mid-Bond's developing conversation and then it's redoubled the guilt. Like, oh, bloody hell. But that is after she sees him get shot when he pointlessly steps into the corridor. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, now you've seen what a fucking weirdo I am. I might as well just chivalrously sacrifice myself. Hey, Dalek, shoot me and spare these people. What? Dalek do that. You're an idiot. You're very naive. He hasn't met a Dalek. It doesn't matter. I can forgive him his ignorance. He's not a bargaining chip. He can't go like, hey, you you wanted that person, take me instead and let that person (laughs) go. No, that makes no sense. He does that because he is heartbroken and he realizes he doesn't stand a chance with this woman. That's essentially why he steps into the corridor, right? I think that's the first time that she sees him do something chivalrous and that's the first time that she sees him die. You're right about the whole, oh, you, did you come to save me as well? Y- yes, I did. That's mm-hmm. it, which I love. It's a good scene. But I do not buy that ultimately leading to her within the space of, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes? Going, mm-hmm. yeah, you're great. I mean, I have seen you once a year for several years. I now know what you store here. You are clearly mad. You clearly have zero social life or social skills or anything. You might be a murderer. (laughs) Yeah, let's give it a go. You only live once. (laughs) The other thing to consider is because of Jeff's constant not showing up for work. How much of a social life does Sarah have? How desperate is she? I thought in the beginning, so I had forgotten about Jeff when I rewatched this last night. There was a moment where I thought, Either she has invented Jeff as an excuse to get out of New Year's, or he has invented Jeff as a means of getting her to come to this storage facility. If that were the case, he'd be doing it much more often than once a year. Yeah, like, he works there 364 days a year, 365 on leave years, and, <laughs> and only on New Year's, he's like, 
fuck it, Jeff's taking a day off. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, forces her to show up. He's like, oh, I've got a Monopoly game. <laughs> That's the Monopoly game from my childhood, by the way. Is it? That's a classic 80s version. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you also have to murder a Simone to get it? I think my mum bought it in a shop. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I hope she did. I'm sure she did. (laughs) While we're talking about scenes that don't utterly convince... Yes. The Doctor's mega monologue about, we screw it up, we try again, we write a bad episode, but we're showrunner, so then we write a worse episode, but we keep going because we're human and we learn, and then we forget more than we learn, but then we come back for another series, and then more companions turn up, but then you kill most of them, and then we get better, and we make friends, and we alienate most of the fan base, and on and on it goes, and it's like... Yes, award-winning writing. What's your problem, man? <laughs> I mean, I thought Jodie absolutely threw her heart and soul into and it. And arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She threw her heart and soul around the room. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to guess that this is 41 minutes into the episode. Because at one point I have written, oh my god, the gesticulation, 45 minutes in, it's the worst so far. <laughs> it must be. It must be. <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy that scene either. But that's fine. I can live with that. I'm sorry to backpedal. Uh, It's not the right use of backpedal. Uh, Time loop? Sorry to reverse time loop? Sorry to loop back. Yeah, I've got Jeff questions. Okay. Is that Jeff at the end? That's Carl from The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Who? The target of the Stenza. Of the hunt. The guy in the crane. That's him. Oh, really? Yep. That is crazy. Oh, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, yeah. Well, what? Wow. Well done. I didn't recognize him at all. Very impressive. Mm. Okay. So we never get to see Jeff? No. (sighs) Jeff has done a runner. Jeff is probably abroad. Did you think that we would encounter Jeff in the facility somewhere? Oh, what? Like, they would pull up the cushions on the sofa and he's there in his pants. Well, yeah, or he's got a date over or something. Like, Or he's got a New Year's party upstairs or... Oh, that'd be fun. You know, something. Or he's... Marvin, the eccentric janitor from Die Hard 2, colon, Die Harder, <laughs> that he would be there. Did you expect to see Jeff? And he would finally, in the 1159 loop, come running down the stairs being like, what's going on? <laughs> 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 Fuck you, Jeff. Well deserved. Yeah. He's left lots of fireworks there. Now's the <laughs> night to use them, by the way. <laughs> if- oh, I also like that. I am so simple and stupid. I did not think of how the fireworks would be the new year's display at the end i was pleasantly surprised by it if you can believe it well that's excellent yeah that's very good my point is idiots love this episode (laughs) (laughs) and i am one of them i have lots of things i liked okay dan's reaction to manchester okay that's where i'm spending new year's fucking hell (laughs) and the x terminated thanks for the therapy did you like that I kind of like it, but he did also deserve to be shot for it. I know exactly how you feel. I really do like it. I think it's great. Yeah. Jim and Marie disagreed, by the way. (laughs) That they can still find a new spin on that single word. Yes. Yeah. That's very creative work, Chibbers. Well done. Yeah. It's the first new one since eggs. And I think it was Rory, wasn't it? It was in the time of Amy and Rory. And Rory's like, what what, what do you want me to do with this egg? (laughs) Eggs. Eggs terminate. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten that. Okay. (laughs) Go on then. What you got? Missed opportunity. Could have redecorated the TARDIS. 
Oh, yes, that is in my notes. I couldn't quite share Jodie's enthusiasm that the horrible, hideous TARDIS interior was restored to the letter. On the other hand, they know that they have two more episodes to go after this, so they're not going to invest in a completely new set. Or make a fantastic, beautiful, gorgeous, high-caliber new set, high-production-value new set that the entire fan base is then going to go, wait, you had this in you all along and you couldn't do it sooner? Tactoons. Or any set. Like, if they just redecorated now. Well, I'm, t- I'm talking about Tectoon's space station set, TARDIS, yeah, from two no, episodes right. ago. No, I thought that's right. what you were describing. Well, it might as well be that set. That was absolutely gorge-tastic. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, they're going to scrimp a little bit. They've got two more episodes. This is also a lockdown episode, right? This is a COVID production. Yes. There are probably limits to what they can do and... Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, yeah, that's just a very quick ping, I think. I've got one small ping, which is, did you notice the music as the episode crescendoed was in the same key as the theme tune? I did not notice that, but I have on multiple occasions written terrific music. Mm. I think the score for this episode is, it's a step above where it's been before, and it has already been really good before. Yeah. Great job. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really simple, because it was like, so you could almost go, you know, off the back of that. For a moment there, I thought you were doing the Pirates of the Caribbean. It was sort of that rhythm, but it was the Doctor Who version of it. And I thought it was a nice touch. I love the music in general in this episode. It's very good. Very well done. Yeah. Oh, I do have, I have one more beef. I have one more beef. Oh, okay, fine. I'm editing this one. I can say it. Inaction is not a decoy plan. Uh huh. Who adopts that stratagem? With three minutes to go, the yep. doctor says, So the Daleks, haven't we got a brilliant plan? And everyone's like, Yeah, yeah. Dan's holding another box. He's like, Oh, I guess I'll put it down. Like, it's kind of fun though that the Daleks shite. look at each other going, Oh no, does she? Yeah, yeah. But then with two minutes to go, this brilliant plan, this amazing decoy, is them just lounging on a sofa. What are the Daleks supposed to think? That that's actually their plan? Make for the sofa! Is she planning to power the sofa with a rocket through the concrete wall? Assuredly, no other explanation is correct. What? Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Zero notes. (laughs) You're right. Just hanging out in Jeff's den, I don't understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Uh, X-Ray Nick still has dreads. Does he? His hair is made of bone. I guess so, yep. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about... This is another one of those failed comedy scenes. Okay. It's the scene where they discover that Nick is a psycho and they start berating him for it. Oh. It's the bit harsh. He's standing right there. It's that scene. When you know? Sarah really goes off on him. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. <laughs> yeah. And it's bound up with all her frustrations about why she's stuck here and he's the one factor in her life that is present, so she's laying it all on him. But we also have Yaz and Dan sort of leaping to his defense, but in a way that I didn't find particularly believable. I can't remember which one of them says so, but one of them literally jumps into frame, maybe not literally jumps, literally steps into frame and goes... That's a bit harsh. He can hear you, or he's standing right... Or yeah, they says say, that. She says, he's standing right there. Well, no one talks like that. You're not making things better. This is also the same scene in which they ask, are your exes still alive? Yes. 
Oh, thank goodness. Good. I liked their reaction there. Oh, really? I thought that was funny. Oh, okay. I like, didn't find that. Oh, funny. phew. Like, genuinely, there was a possibility he was a serial killer. Yeah, wait. But is that how you conduct an investigation? <laughs> She's a police officer. <laughs> Are you a murderer? No. All right, good. Glad we got to the bottom of that one. <laughs> Carry on, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> no further questions. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a bit odd. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fine. Maybe there isn't that much to say about it. I'm out. I think we should try to numerically rate this unless there's something on your list that you absolutely positively need to get off your chest. Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Shazamatron, a podcast land. What? And welcome to the hour mini section of this podcast episode. I'm going first because democracy. <laughs> and consensus. <laughs> and consensus. And let me start by reiterating that I really enjoy this episode. It has a great premise. We're finally back in time travel territory. No complaints there, thank you very much. And even outside of such sci-fi contrivances, it was a legitimately entertaining story. It's good. Cool. Right. So pens down, Podcast Land. I'm on your side, okay? And pens down to that urethra-bobbing donkey rimmer who gave us one star the other day for being too positive about stuff. Because there are also a number of things that I found a wee bit annoying. (gasps) Albeit most of these can be explained away as elements of a holiday special. This includes, to kick things off mildly, the fact that any other time of the year, this episode would just stumble over its own internal logic flaws, fall over, and probably land awkwardly on its keys. It also includes (laughs) the very abrupt resolution. All of that standard holiday fare, I think. Mm -hmm. What it doesn't include, however, is, and I know you will disagree with me on this one, Drew, the... (sighs) At least initially, dreadful acting. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm so sorry. Like I, sorry. <laughs> Pin. I remember watching this with Kat. This was the first ever Doctor Who episode, like any Doctor Who episode she ever saw. Mm-hmm. This was it. Mm-hmm. And within 30 seconds, or you know, 15 seconds, I remember her already clearly going, "Oh no, you know, oh, oh really? no." <laughs> Yeah. See, the problem is, is that you two are gregarious, charismatic people. <laughs> you don't have to live with the internal torments that Sarah, Nick, and I carry around in our mind dumps, <laughs> our mind pits. That's a good line. Did you practice that line? <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Pin unplugged. Pin for me. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> What it doesn't include, however, are also a handful of pretty poor lines, most of which I think we kind of covered this. They're mostly written for Yaz, unfortunately. Mm. Nor does it in any way condone the sheer existence of Dan. Uh, (laughs) It also doesn't include the wanton waste of human life, that loop. Don't die. Don't commit suicide. It also doesn't include Dan being a total gallstone and outing Yaz. What the nips was that about? The new Dalek executioners, however, they are badass. Though it's not wholly clear to me what differentiates them from other Daleks, except for the Gatling gun, but I don't care. I'm on board. Great. Production value, pretty decent. That force field is gorgeous. The beaming effects, very nice, actually. The Dalek fire is standard, sure. Oh, I really like the melting door effect. We didn't talk about like how long it takes a Dalek to get through one of those measly doors, mm-hmm. but they made it look really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a COVID bottle episode set over the holidays, so I will forgive it, even the comparatively naff explosion at the very end. And with presumably the limited resources at their disposal, I think they did a phenomenal job. Greatest asset, time loop premise, biggest flaw, 
poor acting in certain parts, particularly right at the start. Oh, and the gesticulation cranked up to 11. Oh, and outing Yaz. Oh, and other bits of writing that didn't really work for me. Anyway, I've given this a 4.2. Okay. A fucking good episode, nonetheless. Right, lovely. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm glad I saved my note about the opening till now, because I'm going to pluck out my pen, and this is the pass that will separate forth. Lovely. Mm. Mm. Unzip. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got a new metric for these scenes by which we're introduced to side characters before the main stuff begins. Oh, yeah. And it may seem obvious, and I'm probably introducing it about 150 episodes too late. But here it is. If it could work as the start of either a sitcom or a drama, and you'd still find it enjoyable if Doc never turned up for the interaction between the two characters, then it's good enough. If not, then you need to rework it. I feel like Chibber's actually put a second or a third draft in effect here. Here we have what is at heart a massive info dump, but it's wreathed in human quirks and ticks and implicit history in a way that, oh, I am glad we've decided to take our 45th wedding anniversary here on Orphan 55, really isn't. No. That's why I liked the beginning of this. Uh-huh. I liked, is it a toxic, hazardous, or radioactive board game? <laughs> I love the deadpan yeah. delivery of that. I liked sentient beaches, chess with fish, mocktails with lobsters. All of this, I think, can be pitted against and outweigh the shitty lines. I really liked the scene when they'd gone through the first loop and nobody knew what was going on and they had discombobulation and deja vu. And they would say a line, a similar line, but they would react differently. Or when he said for the second time his line about have a good new year and then she said what she said and he was like, I did hear that before. I loved those two minutes Okay, and how it was all recast in a new light. Give that man an inch and he takes a corridor. Cans of beef and beans, yet more evidence Chibbers listens to our show just so that we will say beef. Over and over again, you're welcome, Chibbers. I thought the phone call to Mammy getting shorter and shorter throughout the episode in parallel with the shortening time loop was hilarious. The shortening time loop, you said it, such a good construct that pressure makes it decrease. Okay, I'll buy it. What it means is that the end of the episode naturally accelerates. I thought it was fantastically clever. Hmm. Everybody's running throughout this episode. They are really pelting along. I feel like we don't get that often enough when your life's in danger. I thought that it was brilliant that it all hinged on Sarah's mammy doing the last thing she'll ever do. Ring during the bongs. They established that nicely. I didn't realise that was going to be inverted in this way. I liked Dan's understatement of the universe ended and everything got messy. I don't know if that was intentional even. In summary, this episode is a little clockwork bottle rocket made on a swatch budget that runs like a Rolex. It's a fantastic way to rack up a huge body count and nobody except Daleks get killed at the end. I'm going to give it 4.6 sassy skeleton poses. (sighs) That's an excellent mini. (laughs) (laughs) Shame about the rating. (laughs) I can read you. No, that is a fantastic mini. I love it. Love the enthusiasm. Love that you got that from this episode. All right. (laughs) I gave midnight 4.6. This ends at midnight. It makes sense to me. (laughs) No, great. Fantastic. Ah, true. Yes. Are we the only people with opinions? I sincerely hope not. Right. Well, let's see what Podcastland thinks of this one. Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcastland. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. Kabla. 
Gamotron podcast land. <laughs> Excellent fireworks display there. <laughs> I'm glad you could figure it Good, out. Good uh, foley work. Excellent, thank you. Podcast land, welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. We have uh, no fewer than three. And also no more than three. Listener minis. So uh, we're going to read them out in full. And I want to point out, two of these also sent something in for B077. Oh, outstanding yeah. work. Well done. Well done, yeah. both of you. In fact, well done, all three of you. Right, so who's first? First up, it's that pillar of the podcast land community. It's Kieran Evans. Oh, hello, Kieran. Kieran says, I'm going to stick my neck out and say this is the best Chibnall Dalek story. I don't think you're sticking your neck out very far, Kieran. Mm. I would wholeheartedly agree. I agreed. For Kieran, it's more inventive than the previous two, which borrow a lot from previous Dalek stories. It's been mentioned before that for a show which is about time travel, it really actually does time travel loop stories. You'd mentioned that before, Leon? Oh, feels like a deja vu to me, Drew. Yeah. Does it <laughs> ring any bells? Some hmm. handsome, suave chap came out with that opinion. Oh. Wow. <laughs> this is a bit of palate cleanser after Flux. I think I might have said something similar for the instant review. Hi. Karen continues, I'd forgotten that the reason the TARDIS is out of order for the app is the Doctor clearing out the mess from Flux. The continuity flows there, which is nice. Mm. But it's not too heavy and doesn't weigh the story down. We don't really need to know about the events of the final lap of Flux to understand the plot here, but doing so adds context. Bold way to end the pre-title sequence, but of course that's something you can do with a time loop app. I feel Nick and Sarah realising they're in a time loop was well done. Aha! <laughs> ah, Nick. Yeah, he's a bit creepy, but don't actually mind him, really. Okay. <laughs> the ending with him and Sarah going off together is sort of played as them just being friends, but also something a bit more. I prefer if it was just straight them being friends. I do not think that they're just friends. I think this is a straight-up love story, and that's them going on... It's a romantic getaway, a romantic adventure around the world. Yeah, but they're also not sticking their tongues down each other's throats, so... Yeah, but I don't want to see anyone stick their tongues down anyone else's throat on TV, thank you very much. Or if they've got tails. With some exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> How does Kieran conclude? He does indeed conclude. He says, not covered for an act of Dalek, lol. I just find this fun and enjoyable. You can tell it was made during COVID, but the smaller scope is actually nice for a change. 4.0 out of 5 Gatling gun Dalek blasts. Nice! Very nice. That's three-fourths so far for this episode. Ooh, aye. Well done, Chibs. Yeah, well done, Chibs, and well done, Kieran. Excellent mini. Thank you very much. People who are not Kieran... Get into the 21st century. Absolutely. Yeah, get with the program and try, in an environmentally conscious way, to transport large and multiple items at once. Well, how can they do that, Drew? You can modernise your vehicular options at KJ Evans too. For, For all, all your Evan needs... needs. Thank you very much, Kieran. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Hey, Ollie Raven. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ollie. Anyone with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that amount of syllables. Perfect. <laughs> Hello, says Ollie. So this one has Ashling B, Daleks, and a time loop with a twist, you say? We say. For this lonely, single, straight, cis, male, 30-something sci-fi nerd, New Year's Day treats don't come much finer. <laughs> B's character is framed as the protagonist for the first half of the adventure, which means she gets a lot of screen time. The camera likes her, you won't find me complaining. So of course they give her a romantic interest whose behaviour around her is not creepy at all, honest. 
I like the idea of being nosy around other people's stored belongings. Presumably, it was a very compact, COVID-safe, budget-friendly set. John Bishop works well as Dan here, with no need to fridge Diane to make him interesting. Atrocious retro rewrite in the last episode there, by the way. Or was that something we said? Or maybe it was Chibs' retro rewrite. I don't remember. Who knows? Let's know, Ollie. He really gets to exercise his comedy chops nicely in that one scene. In isolation, acknowledging Thasmin was actually quite cool, even if it went nowhere in particular over the following two stories. The Daleks are great value here, although ultimately cheapened when being outsmarted by the gang in this one despite all the odds being stacked in their favour. Jody is also never anything less than solid as the Doctor by this point, too. I kind of agree. That monologue was so clunky, but as I said, she gave it her all. I feel like she elevated it quite a bit to merely quite annoying. Yeah. I feel like she has managed to boost both sides of her acting spectrum. Mm, she is left a, and right hands. She's both a better doctor and a more annoying one <laughs> oh, right. than she was at the start. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah. What was up with that returning character at the end, though, continues Ollie. Unless I missed something, that's another Chibber's moment, which led to precisely zilch. But he doesn't give it zilch. Ollie gives this 4.1 fireworks out of 5. Excellent rating, Ollie. And I didn't even recognise that return character, so don't <laughs> you worry. <laughs> and Ollie mentions that Ashling B is in that new Take That jukebox musical film, Greatest Days. If anyone's seen it, ah, don't bother. Yeah? Telling us, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good job getting work, Ashling. People who are not Ollie, shame on you. Oh, but they were born that way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, you can still follow Ollie Raven on uh, the old Insta. Ollie can be found as where? Foggy Doctor Who. That's right. That's Doctor, the abbreviated version. Correct, Mundo. Thank you very much, Ollie. Who's last? Why, last up, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. <laughs> By the end of this podcast, I will have dislocated my jaw doing that. <laughs> Andy starts, hi, chaps. <laughs> hi, chaps. So I sent an instant review at the time, and my opinion has changed slightly. I love it even more now. Yes, Andy, yes. And Andy starts with a list of likes. First like. Ashling B, absolutely brilliant. Can we have her as a permanent companion, please? Next like, the setting, the Doctor running around in corridors, everything that's brilliant about Doctor Who. That's true. Next like, the time loop, a Dalek story with the same story looped over and over. What better epitaph to Terry Nation? <laughs> oh, nice. Dan and Yaz's relationship is brilliant. Are oh, you no dissing my mate? That's my job. Oh, I did not like that. Absolutely disagree. Yeah. But boy, can I act. <laughs> <laughs> and last like, Dan has swapped his walk for a steam iron and a ski. I love his choice of random weapons. That is quite Fair a enough. nice through line. Yeah, that is yeah. true. That is yeah. very, very true. The fact that he just like, they cut to that scene and he's just holding the iron. We, <laughs> we don't even get to see him pick it out. He's just holding it. He's like... You are so weird, and actually, I appreciate this. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. But Andy also has just a couple of... Beefs. First... Beef. Okay, I know the TARDIS was regenerating, but when the building blew up, we don't see how it got out. Second and last... Beef. And speaking of the ending, it did feel a little rushed, and I'm not sure hiding behind wooden pallets is going to protect you from a massive explosion. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Holiday special. <laughs> yeah. Andy concludes, overall, it was a brilliantly fun episode. I can ignore any bad bits because it was so good. Probably my favourite Christmas New Year's story so far. 
I loved it at the time, and with each rewatch, I just love it even more. Wow. Andy awards this story 4.7 Jeff's dodgy sex toys hidden in the basement out of five. Yep. Yeah, you know they're there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Andy. Holy moly, huge heart. Peeps, what are not Andy? Please head on over to what's Drew? You can find Andy at Caffrey's 71. Yeah, please do find Andy there and tell him what a huge heart he has. Yeah. Terrific stuff. Thank you very much. And in fact, thank you everyone who sent something in for this episode. Engorged cardiology or not? (laughs) Engorged anything. (laughs) Holy moly. That concludes our Eve of the Daleks soiree, our second Eve of the Daleks soiree on this podcast. But this is not quite the last of Doctor Who there is left to review. No, there's barely some left. We had a conversation before pressing record about what the next episode might be. It will be one of the following, maybe? Yeah, it's got to be one of the following. It's probably going to be a bonus. Yes. Which could be either the unofficial anniversaries episode or the seventh Doctor retrospective. The unofficial uh, anniversaries in this case being... Dimensions in Time. And... Scream of the Shalker. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Stick uh, around, it'll be a surprise. It will. It w- I will be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we are back in New Who territory with Legend of the Sea Devils. I remember that one being phenomenal. Really well written, <laughs> believable story arc. Yeah, really yep. worthwhile production. <laughs> That was the second episode of Doctor Who that Cat watched. <laughs> oh my good lord. If you think we love everything, tune into that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> After that? Well, finally, the classic Who channel will be wrapped up. Yes. With the Eighth Doctor's lone TV appearance originally, Doctor Who, the movie. Oh, I'm super looking forward to that one. That was well, of be course. Great. Of that course you fantastic. are. Fantastic. After that, before we venture towards the last of Whitaker, we have an audio Who review, namely Doctor Who, colon, the punctuation, redacted. Mm. Yeah. In the meantime, you can say hello to us uh, online in one way or another. Drew, you're available how? Via the emails right. with the rest of the crew at whobackwhen at gmail.com. That's right. Exactly right. Also over Twitter where we can collectively be found at who back when, all in one word for your spelling convenience. <laughs> you can also say hi to me on the aforementioned channels or on Twitter at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Drew, I've had a fabulous evening and podcast land. You've been a fabulous audience. So thank you very much for your rapt attention. Until the next time, please rock on, be rad and excellent to one another. And uh, cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?